Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice, which you may not have known already from the voiceover because um, maybe there isn't a voiceover. Uh, we're trying to, uh, be, you know, we figured that 11 months in might be enough time for us to stop having the voiceover that says that me and Ellie host the show. And <laughs> So I'm just, formal. I, I've, I've been, my, my 11-month trial period's over. Oh, no, what I'm saying is there's probably not a voiceover saying anything, <laughs> just that it's not Ellie. You still are obviously on probation <laughs> at all times. Joe Patrice from Above the Law, we're hosting here. Uh, welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer. I am uh, the other voice you heard is our provisional host. Her name is... Provisional? Her Interim? name... Hold on, hold on. Uh, Catherine... Yeah, Catherine Ravino from Above oh, Laws here. You, you're, you got jokes today. Mm, mm. Well, How was you your know, holiday? It was fine. It was fine. You know, some good stuff. Low uh, key, lots of turkey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, turkey, a plenty. I'm going to have to rejigger my uh, weight loss plans a little bit, but yeah. You know what? I think that through the holiday season and after the year we have had, I think that just being healthy and happy is probably its own victory. Mm. Yeah. See, that's yeah. That's that seems that <laughs> seems such like too much. Self- me when I say that. Oh, that's so much self helpy talk. You know, it's it's self helpy talk because it actually helps yourself. Mm. Mm. Oh, I'm the, a lawyer. The, I don't, don't. I don't. Don't grumble at me. Yeah, I, I'm. You I'm first a, of all, you're no longer a lawyer. I am absolutely still a lawyer. You're, the fact that I don't take active cases doesn't mean that I I don't pay my bar dues. You're, go you're, to my CLEs. You are you are significantly happier than when you were a lawyer. So one might think that this self help regime would would be useful to you. Mm, whatever. Um, you know what I miss about being a lawyer, though? What do you I mean, miss I am, about being a lawyer? I am happier, for sure, writing. I mean, sure, the answer is money, but go on. And that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, Cause, yeah. Cause, well, I mean, it's officially bonus season. Big law bonus season. Woo-hoo! Yeah, I mean, this is the time of year when I question all of my choices in life because I spend an awful lot of time writing about bonuses that are very large. Mm. <laughs> I, I just was looking to see if I have in my uh, in my handy dandy sound effect machine a cheer, and this one doesn't. I'm kind of, I'm Woo-hoo! kind of, yeah. It, at least it's not as a default. I'm gonna have to make some changes. Make sure that we get a sound effect machine that covers all the range of emotion that we need to have on this show. Happy and sad. It just has to cover happy, sad, and maybe angry. Three. Mm. Happy, sad, angry. Yeah, I have a laser though. Do you? Let yeah, me hear. it's just. Yeah. What what scenario do you think we're going to use the laser sound effect? I don't know. I don't I didn't come up with this. This is this these are the defaults. <laughs> there's there's no happy one. I I find that hard to believe. You know, not really. There's no cheer, there's no like horn like I mean There's that horn. That that is the saddest horn. Yeah. And then there's like ambient noise. Yeah, no. But uh, so you have a crappy sound effect board. No, I no. It's a good board, but they they expect you to populate it with your own stuff that you want, and they just give you a few defaults. So and it's I kind of user error. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so I, it's a new one. I used to have a different board, and the different board had a lot more like defaults that seemed like useful. So I didn't think that I needed a new happy or a new horn or whatever. Happy, but sad, I do. angry. Maybe funny, like a funny, like dark and sleepy, and <laughs> anyway. So, uh, I, yeah. I think, so, we, oh, that's that's what the dopey sounds like right there. Oh, <laughs> you've got jokes today. 
<laughs> I try. I try. No, but but bonuses are are a thing. Oh. Right, something about law. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. Go on. Yes, back to back to the actual law. I am rolling my eyes so hard, right? Put that on your list of, of necessary sound effects. Eye something, rolls? Something that signifies that I am rolling my eyes. Mm, Some okay. sort of like, uh, Right. No, I can do that. So anyway, yes, uh, bonuses are here. And, you know, obviously it's good news and it's COVID-19, so any news is good news, but they're not particularly exciting. Well, I mean... It, there's a lot of money here. I mean, oh, people sure. are oh, sure, 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 people sure. are making double their salary at a certain point in their career, basically. So mm, that's I don't think that's quite where it is because the largest salaries are for those who are well, making right. quite a bit of money. But yes, it does range from fifteen to a hundred thousand dollars depending on class here, which is a lot of money. But the extra, the the special sauce is obviously, which was something we've talked about previously, are the COVID-19 appreciation bonuses, special bonuses that range between $7,500 and $40,000, depending on class year. And here's the thing that really gets me about those. So the year-end bonus numbers, the fifteen to 100000 numbers, those are the same that were the same bonus ranges that we saw last year and the yes. year before. And it's been that range for quite a while. And it's not that the firms don't have the ability to give more money. Indeed, most of them are giving more money in the form of these special bonuses, but kind of carving them out in this special vehicle allows them to say, we're matching last year's year-end bonuses as opposed to saying the whole bonus pool. When the reality is, unless there's additional special bonuses next year, most associates will not make the same amount of money Mm -hmm. as they did in 2020 as they will in 2021. So it's kind of carving out these special things that allow firms to say, we're doing the same thing, nothing's changed, when in fact the actual dollar amounts have changed. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how all of this plays out because obviously mm-hmm. we've talked over the years, uh, and in particular if you read Above the Law, as I know everybody does, um, if you've read Above the Law over the years, you've noted we've talked a lot about a trend which is an increasing gap between the haves and have nots mm-hmm. when it comes to big law there was a day when the top 100 firms were all firms with lots of money to throw around and increasingly there's a gap where the top 20 to 25 are doing much better than that next right. tier uh, yeah. and i think that covid-19 has only stuff. exacerbated the and issue and that's what i was going to say yeah. is it seems as though while we've seen law perform better uh, than many other sectors in the economic slowdown that we've had, mm-hmm. it does seem to be like a Plinko thing dropping through all the whatever. <laughs> that money seems to be ending up once more in the hands of the firms we consider the haves. That means that we're going to increasingly run into, and that's also, we saw this with layoffs and furloughs and mm-hmm. stuff like that, that the firms that have all the money didn't need to do those things, and the next tier kind of did. Given that that's going to happen, how that plays out over the next year's bonus and salary decisions is going to be interesting because I think you're right. This carve out means that people are going to be, have an excuse to give people less money as bonuses next year, but it's also going to be an issue where are they going to be able to keep keeping up with the bigger firms? Cause the bigger firms are going to have to start eventually noting that they have revenue flying in from all over the place. And maybe it's time that they up their bonuses and will these other firms be able to keep up? Uh, Obviously, bonuses is only one factor of this. And, you know, bonuses, while nice, what's nicer is salary increases, which we get 
Mm-hmm. You know, we've Less had frequently. we've been blessed with a couple of them right in a row over the very recent. Twenty eighteen, I guess, was the most yeah, recent over one. very recent history. Mm-hmm. But before that, it was ten years, right a very yeah. long time. Uh, so, are we going to start seeing a different salary scale, uh, which we generally don't have? We kind of have the firms hewing mostly to the old rule of a hundred firms are exactly the same, all in one tranche, and then a big dip, and then people getting paid at lower tranches at smaller places, are we going to start seeing the creation of what would be kind of a trinoal Yeah, I, I mean, I think that we we very well may. And it should also be noted when we're saying, we're talking about even the largest, most successful firms, the ones that are doing just fine during this current economic slowdown, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have avoided layoffs or just in general, because I think that a lot of firms, even successful ones, have taken the opportunity, I use that word in quotation marks, <laughs> of COVID-19 to rejigger their business model. We've seen a lot of staff layoffs, even at very successful firms, buyouts, layoffs, various ways of just reducing their administrative staff that because of working from home policies at several places, I think that they, these plans have been in the works for a very long time uh, and have used sort of the excuse of working from home to actually implement these plans and, and these changes in their staffing. But I think a lot of places are seeing that, you know, they don't have, and this has been true for a while, they've been slowly reducing their overall administrative staff because you don't need, every partner does not need their own secretary, whatever, and it's only getting more yeah. pronounced. Well, and we we actually discussed this on a previous yeah. iteration of this. I think that the worst part is that these decisions had needed to be made for a while, mm-hmm. but they put them off in good times thinking, well, we can afford it. You know, we'll keep people on. And then when bad times happen, that's when they pull the trigger. And unfortunately, that means that the people getting laid off are being laid off at a time when they can't find another job as opposed to back when there was ample opportunity. Uh, so it, it kind of works at cross purposes. But it's unfortunate, but you're right. I mean, these are all changes that we're going to see play out over the next year or or more. Have you ever wondered about previous economic crises, though? Every day. Yeah. How have law firms weathered previous economic downturns and come out stronger on the other side? LexisNexis Interaction has released an in-depth global research report confronting the 2020 downturn lessons learned during previous economic crises. Download your free copy at interaction.com slash like a lawyer to see tips, strategies, plans, and statistics from leaders who have been through this before and how they've reached success again. Speaking of economic downturns. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> well, no, it just, it strikes me that we are, you know, in a global kind of downturn. And what that tends to mean historically is an increase in law school applications as folks are looking for safe harbor to spend three years to kind of wait out the economic turmoil. Yeah. Do you think that's going to happen? Well, you know, it's interesting. We we originally thought this wasn't going to happen. and And you're right. There is this trend where people throw themselves in law school because, hey, it's three years years to put off having to deal with the job market. Uh, On the back end, you'll have a professional degree. That seems like a good idea to a lot of people. We thought that that wasn't going to be a big issue this time around, and we did on one of our other special edition shows. Mm -hmm. We did some interviews with some folks that said that from what they were seeing at the time, there were more applicants 
opting to just take the year off, defer, don't do anything. Like, we don't know where well, things sure, are going to go. Well, sure, and that makes sense, too, why there were so many people interested in deferring law school because of working from home and school and remote schooling options, right? right? That spending the amount of money that a law school degree costs and having to do it in your bedroom does not sound great. Right. So there were people putting it off because they thought of that. And we thought that was going to happen. And the advice we were getting uh, in those interviews were that you probably shouldn't be doing that because if you choose, you really want to go to law school, you should go for it because the entire profession being pushed off a year is only going to hurt somebody and there's going to be fewer opportunities the Mm -hmm. year after. So you should, if you really want to do it, you should keep going for it. Anyway, it seems as though people took that to heart. (laughs) Uh, Because since that earlier in the summer interview, law school applications are surging. Yeah. Yeah. So people are applying to more schools than they usually do. Uh, Usually, I think the average is about five schools. Uh, People are applying to north of six now. I don't think we have precise numbers yet, but everyone who's processing these from LSAC uh, is saying that the- Like four times as yeah, many Yeah, I don't know if it's that bad, but it, but that there's a lot. Yeah. Uh, people are going to try to go to law school now. So where do we, I mean, like, I, I feel, I feel somewhat responsible because, <laughs> because I feel like we, in the summer, we're telling people, hey, don't be putting things off. You should do this, you know, to avoid getting yourself in a bind. But you know, that wasn't to suggest that you should go to law school. That was to say, if you are going to go to law school, do it now. Uh, we, yes, we're we not particularly happy about the idea that anyone might have taken that advice to be go to law school I don't, when you I don't, don't know. want I don't, to. I don't think people have or I don't think if they listen to anything we said would, would think that that was our position. But I do think it's interesting that these are the application numbers we might still see as a result of, even though there are increased applications, we still might see even more deferrals depending on what the remote learning opportunities are and so on and so forth. Even though there are more applicants, if you get in, you can still people still might be interested in deferring, mm-hmm. right? So that still might be an issue which kind of pushes the problem of admission a year into the future, right? Because if there's a significant percentage of folks who are delaying for a year, that decreases the number of opportunities or slots, like literal places, classroom seats right. in next year's cycle. So that still could happen, as far as I can tell. But and and I I do think it's a terrible idea to go to law school because you don't know what else to do. Right. And I think that seeing these kinds of surges very much makes me think that there are more than a few folks who are confused about what they want to do with the rest of their life. It's a confusing time, and a law degree seems super stable. Seems as you said, it was a it's a professional degree. I can spend three years. I have. I will always be. You'll always be a lawyer, even yeah. if you're not practicing anymore. That's still who See, that's, you are. I feel as though you're turning this back around on me. Go ahead. You should get used to that feeling. But I would hesitate to tell people to go to law school because they don't know what else to do. It's a terrible reason to go to law school. It's still an incredibly expensive degree. Ignore what we said in the beginning of the show about the large amounts of money that lawyers get because the majority of people who graduate from law school will not have access to the kind of bonus numbers that we're talking about. Yes. Right? The majority of folks are not making over $100,000. Certainly not as a bonus. Yeah. No. And that is key. Mm -hmm. You. If you're going to go down this law school path, you don't want to sound snobby, but 
take real stock of whether or not you're going to a school that's going to provide you with access to a job on the back end. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a wealth of information over at Law School Transparency about different schools' ability to do that. And you can see that there are... And a, the above-the-law law school rankings uh, takes these kind of outputs into... Yes, the, yes. and But we only do the top 50. But mm-hmm. if you are going to some schools that may not be there, uh, you can get a real sense from LST what's going on. But just be aware that not all laws, law degrees are created equal, mm-hmm. uh, and there are fewer law jobs that are at least paying than you'd think. We have a shortage of lawyers in certain sectors in this country, but those sectors are not providing the money that will pay off your student debt. So that's an equation you have to be in a position to consider. Yeah. And listen, there's nothing wrong. You you lose an application fee if you're like, I don't know what I do. Let me throw in a law school application and see what happens. And you know, you lose your your fee, but that's it. But before you actually decide to go to law school and take out hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of loans, you really need to ask yourself what you legitimately can get out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And also whether or not that will make you happy. You know, you and I both went to law schools and we both went to big law firms after. We had mm-hmm. the sorts of jobs that are supposed to help you service your loans and, and do all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's a lot of hours. It's the work that you are doing may not always be the kind of work you think you're going to do when you go to law school. Mm-hmm. I know on my other podcast, The Jabot, that's a question I always ask my guests, like, is this what you imagined you would do when you went to law school? Mm-hmm. And and listen, like most of the people I'm interviewing are people who are doing great work for diversity efforts because that's what that whole podcast is about, right? So whatever. But m- the majority of the time, it's not what they envisioned when they applied to law school, when they dreamt about being a lawyer. Uh, and your day-to-day life is very different. And big law is a grind and it's not for everyone. And that doesn't make you bad in some way, Right. The happiest people I know are former big law lawyers. Yeah, like, but that said, like I, I very much entered the big law world with an eye on getting out of it. I, <laughs> I, I entered with the idea that I would do that for a while, develop skills and make connections, and then move to something that was lower key. But it would also mm-hmm. afford me the money I needed to make a significant enough dent in my loans that I would be able to make that sort of decision. So I I feel like I did what I intended, but that's just it. I knew I was going to be in a situation where I could get said big law job and pay it down. The real problem are the folks who take out 300 grand worth of loans and then go to a law school that means that they are very unlikely to get a job that gives them $100,000 bonuses, at which point they're now behind the eight ball as far as their loans go and kind of stuck. That's what you need to be kind of cognizant of Mm -hmm. when you go into it is have a plan for how you're going to get that money. Because even if that's, even if you don't want to be a big law lawyer forever, you might need to, uh, depending on how much money you're spending. So there's that. Anyway, Sometimes it's about what you want to do. Like I went in and, you know, did litigation. I wasn't really a transactional person. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you work with (laughs) contracts and don't use contract tools, you're missing a lot. Save time, make more money, and do a better job for your clients with Contract Tools by Paper Software. Contract Tools is the most powerful word add-in for working with contracts. 
Thousands of lawyers all over the world rely on contract tools every day for every kind of deal. Visit papersoftware.com to watch a demo and get a free trial. As a special offer to podcast listeners, use coupon code LTN2020 to get one month free. That's papersoftware.com and LTN2020. So um, there was a, a little story that just came up over the weekend, kind of under the radar holiday weekend news dump situation. Uh, the Justice Department is trying to bring back firing squads. So that doesn't sound great. So it, it, it certainly that that's the opinion that most of the media seems to have. A lot of very breathless headlines talking about how there's a firing squad push going on within the Justice Department. They also are trying to bring back the electric chair, which for some reason didn't get nearly the and well, this it's is what not I find interesting. Visceral, right? Well, I mean, I think that's what it is. Like, there's something optical about firing squads that really seems to get people riled up. It's also true that this proposed rule is uh, curtailing, like cutting in half the usual comment period. It's really a rush job to try and get mm-hmm. this on the books before January 20th, which is weird because uh, I heard that they aren't actually going to lose. But apparently, <laughs> they feel like they need to get this done. Uh, so. Firing squads are back, are going to be back, and I don't necessarily think this is the worst idea. I mean, the death penalty is pretty bad generally. Right. So I'm going to cabin that off. Okay. Obviously, obviously, I'm not really a huge fan of the well, idea I mean, of death. Don't say obviously. Plenty of people aren't. That's why fair we enough. still have it. I guess fair enough. But it strikes me as though the idea, like as weirdly visceral, as you put it, as the the firing squad is as an event. Justice Sotomayor wrote an opinion a few years ago talking about firing squads versus lethal injections and noted in it that, frankly, firing squads, by all the data we have, are a more humane and less likely to be botched form of Mm -hmm. execution. And what Justice Sotomayor was kind of getting at in this, obviously, this was a case where she, you know, she's not a legislator. She can't get rid of the death penalty, but was arguing about to the extent that we play this game of cruel and unusual punishment, why is it really that we have this reaction to firing squads being so bad uh, as opposed to lethal injections, which we now have tons of evidence to suggest are really Awful. horrifying? Yeah. And, it, and it is an interesting question. Obviously, the jumping off point of this story for me was seeing as so many people, especially in social media, started reacting and going kind of frantic about how problematic it was that the administration was looking at firing squads. And all I could think was, well, is this a sign of, A, the kind of erosion of trust that people have in this particular Justice Department that there's ill motives suggested for mm-hmm. anything they do? Or is it that people just really viscerally have a problem with firing squads or whatever? But it kind of led me to think maybe this is time where everybody should take a moment to have a serious talk with themselves about why is it that this thing that evidence suggests is if the death penalty in any way fits the definition of avoiding cruel and unusual punishment, this would be the way to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet that's the one that nobody feels comfortable with and that people are instead really pushing the one that we have ample evidence to suggest is really bad. Well, I mean, I think there's definitely an over-medicalization 
of kind of our our society in general, right? And I think that, you know, I'm not I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend that I know a ton of stuff about this. But it seems that even though we do have the evidence that lethal injections can be botched and are actually awful for the person experiencing it, they are often quiet because of other drugs that they're given first, mm-hmm. right? So there's right. a silence to it, like a, a very there's a silence to it. There's also a, oh, this is a medical procedure versus a murder, mm-hmm. right? Which you know, guns are are typically seen as you know a violent instrument, whereas I mean, I see them as freedom. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but no, but but there's a, it's an instrument of violence right. versus an instrument of medicine which I, I think is actually probably psychologically much more damaging to use medicine to kill people. But, right. you know. Look, I, I'll also say that I don't think that there's anything particularly redeeming about this effort mm-hmm. uh, because I don't think that this is an effort to actually bring more. Right. This is not an effort to be humane. This is not a, about humane. Uh, it, the fact they're also trying to bring back the electric chair is is evidence of that. This was really more that as lethal injection drugs become more and more scarce, as manufacturers don't want to make them anymore because- Because uh, they're in the business of making medicine. Well, and the bad PR that comes with the increasing evidence that these are mm-hmm. not working. Whereas the gun manufacturers already have that bad PR. So. Right, right. But this was more an effort to just add more options to the bag of tricks that mm-hmm. the federal government has. So I don't really think it's- getting at that point that Justice Sotomayor was making. However, I think that it's a good opportunity for us to revisit kind of her words and not Mm -hmm. even her words, but her marshalling of the evidence and to look into that and kind of consider why is it we society-wise have this uh, concern about that. And I think your points about medicalization play into it. I think there's an optical Mm -hmm. level to which the blindfold and cigarette with a bunch of bayoneted guns pointed at you seems like that's it just feels like a tin pot dictatorship in a way that you know you want america not to be i think that has a lot more to do with the observers of the execution than it does with the actual person being executed because Mm. of those visceral images of guns pointed at someone versus lying on a cot and getting an injection well, and then and then the question is, what is really the death penalty? Is it for dealing with the condemned, or is it for the observer? And mm. at the point that it becomes about the observer, that probably should force you to grapple with some different questions. Sure. Which it, it's, which we won't as a society. Which right, a society won't. But again, my my point was, it was one of those instances where a story came out over the weekend, and uh, the reaction to it just made me start thinking about how we often jump in ways that mm-hmm. are not probably the most advisable way of responding to a story. Fair. You know, I mean, obviously not at above the law where we always jump in the right directions, but uh, where other media. Outlets, you know the 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 inferior media outlets that you may run Fake across, news, yeah. yeah, in your day to day life, don't do. So, with that said, that's a super happy story to end. Yeah, yeah, no, I thought so. It's not like we had particularly great stories all around. It's like <laughs> bonuses; they're kind of boring. Oh, and you're probably not going to get a job out of law school. So, firing squads was frankly the 
<laughs> it was a downway. Like we're going downhill, though, right? Like <laughs> it went from not as exciting as it could be to literal murder. So okay, so I made everybody feel better about their bonus. How about that? <laughs> Good job. Yeah, look, I'm I'm trying here. So with that said, thank you for all coming in and listening. Uh, this is a show that you should be subscribed to rather you know than just listening to it every week when it pops up on the website though we do appreciate that if you subscribe that helps our numbers a bit it also allows you to, an opportunity to review it not just give it stars but write something that all helps the algorithm recognize that we're out there you should be reading above the law you should be following us on social media i'm at joseph patrice she's at Catherine one the numeral one you should listen to the jabot which she already referenced because she cleverly made a plug mid show for her other it show it wasn't a plug it was or an organic statement of fact oh okay okay anyway <laughs> so yes you should listen to the jabot which her show talking about diversity in law and so on and i also do the legal tech week legal tech roundup kind of uh say that's legal tech week's the show name but it's it's a roundup from uh legal tech journalists about what's going on in legal tech uh you should listen to the other legal talk network shows of which there are almost too many to count anymore and you should be checking out paper software's contract tools and with all of that said i think we're done peace Oh, that's what it is. Oh, you you were just holding up two, and I thought, oh, what's the two I'm supposed to say? No, it was like peace. Oh, because you were doing a, yeah, Yeah. okay. Peace. Fair enough.